Hey everyone, this is Tom Singer. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to inform you about a special offer that I have to join a brand new group called My Sales Call. If you work for a small business or if you're a solopreneur, having some people to talk about ideas and best practices and to have a focus and accountability around sales is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in the busy work that we don't do what we need to do to drive the sales in our business. So I have started a weekly call where people can get together and share ideas around sales and then make a commitment to the group of what they're going to accomplish for the next week. It's just like if you work for a big company, your sales manager would have a weekly sales call. This is your sales call. Go to mysalescall.com to find out more and sign up today. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to, or welcome back to, another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. You know, it's been about five and a half years since I started this podcast, and I started it so that I could have access to really smart entrepreneurs who were doing cool things. And now, over 525 episodes later, this has been awesome because I have learned so much from talking to so many really smart business leaders about what they do to excel. And the byproduct of that is I hear from so many people who listen to the show who say that that's what they have gained from participating as a listener of this podcast. Because I know one thing is true, and that is success leaves clues. Doesn't matter. These really smart entrepreneurs who I talk to, they can't help it. They leave behind an idea, a theory, a nugget, a concept. And those of us who are hearing them, we get to pick those up and put them to use in our own careers. So if you're new to the show, please keep coming back and listening. We've got some great interviews coming ahead. And if you've been a regular listener, please reach out and let me know who that we've talked to has really sort of touched you and inspired you. And I know that you're going to want to reach out and talk about today's guest because today's guest is Peter Schroer, and he is the CEO and founder of a company called Eris. Now, I met Peter, I don't know, maybe about six months ago. Uh, I was actually the master of ceremonies at a conference, and I was there with a group called the Digital Enterprise Society. Some of you know that I'm actually the host of another podcast called the Digital Enterprise Society Podcast, and they work in this, uh, this world of product lifecycle management software. And I've had the opportunity to work with a number of their people. I worked at this conference. We interviewed several people for that podcast live on site. And Peter was one of them. And he was really smart. His company is growing 40% year after year. He's doing all kinds of really cool things. And I knew I had to get him on this show. And I said, Peter, would you please come on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do? And without missing a beat, he said, of course. And I always like entrepreneurs whose first answer is yes. They always find a way to make things happen. And so here we are. Peter, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. All right, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> hey, uh, I don't like to read the bios and stuff that your PR people send. So why don't you tell everybody who is Peter Schroer and, and what is Eris all about? Sure. So uh, just to start, uh, I'm an electrical engineer, uh, engineer with an MBA, so a little dangerous, uh, came out of Cornell, um, sitting here in Boston, uh, married, two kids. Um, and I came to entrepreneurship mid-career. Uh, I started out of college. I worked for IBM, Data General, sort of you know, big, typical big companies. 
Um, the IBM journey, actually kind of interesting. If anybody wants to go Google it, uh, look for Scanning Tunneling Microscope, won the Nobel Prize for Physics. Um, I was on that team. Won't see my name, though, because I didn't have a PhD, but that's 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 <laughs> yeah. how big companies work, right? The PhDs like um, to keep those things to themselves, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I, just, I just had a master's, so that wasn't good enough. But anyway, um, we, we started the business. Actually, funny enough, it is this month, um, 20 years. So we, it's been a long, long journey uh, as a private company. Uh, like you said, 40% growth. Uh, we're in the enterprise software space. Our mission is the digital transformation of engineering and manufacturing companies. Uh, we sell prim- primarily at the high end. It, our customers look like it's Airbus, Kawasaki, Honda, Microsoft, Boeing, GM, right? So large industrial manufacturers. Um, company was founded by Karen and myself. So that was kind of also an interesting part of the journey. Uh, and we're now just at rough, rough scale. We're at about 65 million revenue and just over 600 employees. Um, private, like I said, and uh, we've been through angel investors, venture capital, private equity, venture debt. Uh, we, we've, we've tried it all. Um, current situation is, is we're backed by Silver Lake and Goldman Sachs, so the two of the large uh, private equity firms. Mm-hmm. So you started um, this company with your wife. What's, what's that like? Uh, well, we haven't killed each other 20 years <laughs> later, right? I mean, that's... Um, you know, you, you got to have some rules. You, you don't, you, you, you don't talk about work at home. Um, you know, but we're, I would say as entrepreneurs, you're, you're working long days. So we spend a lot of time in the same building all day long. So you get home, you got to kind of cut it off and, and, and focus on family. Um, but yeah, you know, Karen, Karen runs HR and, and I've been running the technical and then now the, the business side, you know, as, as the CEO. So we, we have boundaries. So, so she's busy because you've grown quite a bit. You're now up to around 700 employees. I bet that's a, I bet that's a different role for her running HR. Uh, I, certainly different from the first year when it was like you know three employees and <laughs> you know big step to five employees and uh, it's it's been it's been a long slow steady growth the whole way through. Um, but certainly different. Uh, not just that it's actually 600 today. We'll be 700 probably by the end of 2020. Uh, it's not just that, that. It's also there's a large number of employees in Japan, in uh, in Munich, in Belarus, in France. Uh, lots of international uh, issues as you try to build one big team, right? So, what do you think led you to uh, leaving the big company world and becoming an entrepreneur? What was what was sort of the 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 inspiration for that? Uh, so, and I and to be clear, I I had been in the PLM, you know, engineering software space at two previous companies on my journey here. Um, I I had a vision. Um, to create a technology that, frankly, no, nobody else wanted to build. So sometimes you, you just get this passion for this, you know, okay, I, mean, I, I guess I'm on a mission, but there's something I wanted to build uh, in a specific technical architecture that I couldn't get anybody else that wanted to try it. So, all right, got to do it myself. So, uh, and that was, that was Karen pushing. It was mostly Karen saying, you know, stop whining and <laughs> complaining about your, your bosses and it's time to go start the business. Uh, and we, as we, we launched it in uh, just January 2000. Um, so, but the intention here was to create a platform for doing PLM, change management, CAD management, project management, for very, very complex situations that could scale big. And for that, you need a special architecture. And that's, uh, and honestly, that's what we're doing. We are a very engineering-centric company. We are on a mission to to make great software. 
So I love the story of how people come up with the names of their companies. And when I met you, uh, yep. when I met you, I asked you that question because it's a question I ask pretty much every entrepreneur I meet who you can't, some, sometimes you can figure it out because the name is what the name is. But I'm like, how did you come up with Eris? So why don't you share that story? Sure. So this is like the dirty, dark secrets of being an entrepreneur. Uh, the hardest thing we did in those, that first six months of the business you know, not the incorporation, not the funding, not the, the technology. The hardest thing is finding a name, right? And we, we went through pages and pages of names, tried things out. Um, and at the time, my daughter was about three years old uh, on vacation and came forward with, a, you know, the, the paper with the crayon and said, hey, I, I, I do my name backwards. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, heiress. Well, not bad, actually. doesn't mean anything. Uh, it stands at the front of the alphabet. So when, when you probably met me at the IPX conference, we were listed as one of the top the top sponsors, right? Because they do it alphabetical. Um, <laughs> that yeah. that is that is actually a brilliant idea because you're right. A lot of people do list you alphabetically. Yeah. So we uh, it, we fell into it by accident, and you know, it's kind of after after. I mean, not a it's not a joke. Months of looking for a name that had the right meaning or had the right you know, emotion with it or whatever, throw it all out and just start with four characters that are a sound. And that's where we are. And so your daughter's so, name is clearly Sarah. And Sarah, she Sarah learned named the, Sarah named the company. She, yeah. she, she yeah. learned to spell, she learned to spell her name backwards. And that was the, the, the launch of the company name. There you go. That's, that's the whole, the whole 20 years is built on that. Now, a, now does she company. have a little sibling rivalry with her sibling going, I named the company. Well, so his name is Matthew, and it just doesn't work backwards. <laughs> Matthew so backwards. We're done. Wuhathma? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. doesn't yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not going to play. And yeah. it would be at the end of the alphabet, so that wouldn't help with sponsorship <laughs> listings. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you've been doing this now for 20 years. You said that, you know, it was you, you were an engineer. You wanted to see this created. Nobody was willing to create it. Your wife kind of said, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Let's do this. 20 years later, when you look back, what do you love about the life of entrepreneurship? Yeah, I, I tell you, uh, for Karen and I, and and it's the the team we've built, right? Uh, and, and and to be, um, we, we've got people who started here as uh, co-op students, right? And then you know, engineering co-ops working through the summer or semester, who later got hired, who then got promoted. We've got some director director level engineering management here who started with us as co-op students, interns. Uh, for us, that's just that's just awesome. Uh, love to see the growth. Love to see their passion for the business. Um, there's 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 some negatives about the entrepreneurship life, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that in our discussions. But the the watching these uh, you know now hundreds of people come into the company, get the passion for it. And watching what they can achieve is uh, that's really awesome. That, 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 that's for us. That's the plus. So let's look at the negatives, right? Are there ever any days where you look around and just go, you know, if I had stayed at one of these big companies, I'd be a senior vice president and I could just phone it in. Are there ever days you think, what what am I thinking? Yeah. So so let's do the math. Twenty years times three hundred sixty five days. Yeah. We you, you ask yourself almost every morning when you wake up, right? Because it's. Uh, and this is again part of what I hope we get to talk about today. It's not a cakewalk. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of energy. It's a it's a really large emotional commitment to pull off a, a startup. That they they don't they don't go easy in the beginning. Um, so you know the, the the negative here and the thing that you, know, you everyone should be aware of it. That's 
20 years of personal sacrifices, you know, leaving money on the table, not taking the vacations and, uh, you know, not being there when the kid's playing in the band and, and, and you're supposed to go to school. Um, to make this work, it's you got to be all in. And uh, I'll tell you the thing that I found interesting is you start a company and it's a sprint, right? I mean, you're in a hurry to get everything done. And what we just woke up and realized is we ran a sprint for the length of a marathon. And that's, um, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a personal sacrifice. Um, that, that's, that's the only downside, though. I mean, it, it really is hard work. Well, so what advice then do you have for somebody who they have this calling? Maybe, maybe their wife is on their case going, stop complaining, go start it. What advice do you have mm-hmm. for somebody who wants to go down the path that you went down? Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the, this is really simple. Uh, do it, right? The, the hardest thing is starting, right? I mean, the hardest thing about running a marathon is the first step. Uh, the, the hardest thing about starting a company is making that decision. Um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll give my word of advice. Um, don't hedge. I've met, I've met a lot of people who experimented with entrepreneurship or they played entrepreneurship, um, you know, start something, uh, keep their day job and they work on the nights and the weekends. Uh, I don't see a lot of those succeed. When, when Karen and I did this, it was quit our day jobs, hang a shingle outside the front door, and it was our only means of income. Uh, there, there's something about the, the grit required to, to fight your way through that that actually creates great companies with, with great cultures. So our, my, I'll tell you the other thing is uh, I know the, the business schools and the coaches will tell you you need a great business plan before you get started. Um, throw that all out. Um, don't worry. Don't wait until you have a perfect business plan. Just jump in and start. There are going to be tons of, of, of pivots, right? Changes in the business model, changes in your thinking. Um, be flexible. Be ready to make decisions. But the most important thing here is is jump in and do it. Both feet. No, no hedging. <laughs> so, you know, you talk about jumping all in both feet. But how do you do that for 20 years? There had to be a couple of times. You know, maybe early on you can get through it because it's still new, but there had to be something around year five, year 10, where you're like, is this going to work? How do you push through that? Yeah, we, we, we were fortunate. And, and I think this, you hear this story probably from anybody who's run a business the 10 plus years. Um, you, you reach milestones, right? I mean, just when you are running out, personally running out of gas and the bank tells you you're running out of gas, right? <laughs> You reach a milestone. It's a, a major customer win. Uh, for us, uh, middle of 2003, we closed our first big round of venture capital, right? That was the industry telling me, hey, you guys are actually doing something cool, right? Um, you know, the, you go a little bit further on, you know, the, when we won the General Motors project, I mean, that was the first really, really large project uh, at huge scale. Uh, tells me that, that what we're building is useful to people and, and, the world is starting to see it. Then, you know, closing the, closing the round with Silver Lake uh, Private Equity, then Goldman Sachs the year late, late, later. There's just as you're starting to get a little frustrated, there's another major milestone you win, and you just got to pick those up, make a, a celebration with it the, with the whole team, and it, it's the energy to keep going. What is interesting when you talk about being all in, like, so I work for myself. I'm a solo opener, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a speaker and a trainer. Uh, yeah. I, I go into company meetings and, and, and work with teams. And then I also, you saw me in a role where I emcee these larger conferences, but it's really just me. And even in that, 
I was doing it on the side for years, right? I would go and uh, mm. I worked I worked in marketing and sales, but I would go into non-competitive type companies and speak at their team meeting or at their users conference. And I was doing it on the side, but I couldn't get real traction. And it wasn't until April 1st, 2009, which was the bottom of the recession, when I got laid off that I went all in after this. And now coming up on 11 years later, it's all I've done for 11 years and I always say there's an old Texas saying, and that is, if you chase two pigs, you won't catch one. And I think that your advice is, is spot on because I was never able to get traction as a speaker and trainer until I was only a speaker and trainer. I uh, 100% agree with you. I mean, it, 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 you, you can see it. I, 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 I do a lot of networking, meet a lot of, of entrepreneurs or people who are thinking about being entrepreneurs until you're all in. You, you, you don't catch one of the pigs. Yep. Yep. So one of the things I do, and, and you didn't see this where you saw me speak, but one of the things I do is I go in and I talk to teams about what I call the performance gap. It is this space that exists between potential and performance or results. And we get really excited in our culture about potential. We hire Becky and we think, oh my God, she's so great. And then a year later, we're transitioning her out of the company. Well, if she had so much potential, why didn't she succeed? And so both in your own career and having managed hundreds of people, why do you think some people are better at getting farther across that gap from potential to performance and other people fall into the gap? Yeah, I'll, uh, sum it up in one word. It's called, uh, it's grit, right? And, uh, and I, and again, this is, this is a new, new topic for me. Um, I caught up with some of our early, early investors uh, two summers ago. And uh, we went through, you know, this, the, the journey and all the, 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 the tough times we had and the great milestones and the tough times we had. Long discussion, you know, and then uh, two days later, I get a, bo a book from Amazon. It was a gift from this guy. And it was the, the book. I, 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 the title escapes me, but it's, it's something about grit, right? And I read it and I'm like, okay, I recognize in that book um, the things in myself that got me through. But also, if you go down and look through our employee pool and the, over all the, the 20 years people we've hired, the ones that have really rocked it, who, who started at co, you know, as a co-op and made it to a director of engineering, um, it's grit. And that it's the ability that when uh, life knocks you down, and, that, and trust me, it happens a lot, but when life knocks you down, you're back up on your feet again and you're playing. Right? I, you, I, you keep yourself in the game. I think the book you're talking about is actually called Grit by Angela Duckworth. and the, the, That's the one. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it was so funny because you said the title has something to do with grit. And I'm like, I think I've read this book. I think the title is actually Grit. And, it is uh, Grit. And, yep. I, and I, I looked up on my shelf and it's, uh, it's, it's Grit. And the subtitle <laughs> is The Power of Passion and Perseverance, which I think is exactly, is exactly it. It definitely has to do with that passion and then that key of perseverance. Cause so many people who I've seen, you know, when the going gets rough, they walk away. So that perseverance piece is really important. It's huge. And now you, you, you mentioned also the hiring issue and I'll tell you, we, um, I got this from a mentor, so I didn't invent this stuff, but uh, I was always advised, you know, hire for attitude, not aptitude. So, you know, that high potentials person with the, with the, you know, multiple degrees and, and the uh, Nobel prize for physics and all that, um, that's interesting, but what's really look for the person though, who's got the right attitude, the passion for, uh, for excellence or the passion to do the right job. Having the right attitude means they're also going to track with you through the pivots. I mentioned the word before 
I don't think there's a business on the planet that started with a business plan and, and all the way through the IPO, it's exactly what they did. You, you got to be prepared to pivot, which means your best people may be doing a different job six months from now, right? Or we may be running the company differently six months from now. And we, and we've, we've done a lot of stuff. I mean, we've been, we've sold software, we've been open source, we've been SaaS. Um, that's all part of the journey is having a team that'll pivot with you, right? And drive the pivots. Uh, at, that's a passion for excellence. Well, in this in this work that I do around this this performance gap stuff, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people about why do some people get across this gap and others don't. And mm-hmm. one of the things that keeps coming up from entrepreneurs like you, one of the really common answers is that one of the reasons I'm successful, says many an entrepreneur, is I accept that change is going to happen. And you can rephrase that in many ways, but a lot of it is mm-hmm. – when, when it's time to pivot, I pivot. You know, change change is going to happen and, and you can point fingers and complain and whine all day long or you can just say, all right, change is happening. Here I go. And I think as an employee, you're right. A lot of employees, when change happens, they think, oh, the ship is sinking and they bail and others say, all right, so I have a new, I have a new, I have a new uh, set of goals. Let's, let's go achieve them. And I think that that definitely separates that. Right. So that, that that's the, 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 the mission for us as company managers, leaders is how do you find and nurture those people who can, who have the grit and can handle change? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Peter, I've got a couple of more questions for you before we go. But, sure. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, it's brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Peter Schroer. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Peter, I call this show... Cool things entrepreneurs do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in business right now? So you're, you're probably hoping for some awesome new technology that we're incorporating, or um, it doesn't it, it doesn't work like that, right? I, what, what's what's cool for us is this culture that we have, which is a sort of constant reinvention. I've used the word pivot a couple times in the in the in the podcast. Um, it's about pivoting. I mean, and it's not just the business and, and the business plan, and the, it goes right down to the product. I mean, the the architecture of the product hasn't changed since the original idea, but it's been it's been rewritten in different languages, on different databases, on different cloud stacks. Um, we are constantly rewriting our entire product, right, to leverage latest thinking, best technology breakthroughs. Um, it's a constant. Uh, uh, rebaselining of what we think is right, taking feedback from the customers, all that constant reinvention. Frankly, that's fun. I and I think that's actually more cool than saying we're about to switch to brand X programming language, and that's going to be our one big breakthrough. Um, I I like the constant reinventing. That, for me, that's cool. Um, and it, it's everything from we've reinvented how you sell software, we've reinvented how you develop, we've reinvented how you support. Um, and we're not done. I mean, we just we just keep changing. And I think that's for me, that's really cool. So you bring up something that you just said sort of in that answer that sort of 
pinged a little ping in the back of my head, and that was we listen to the customers. So this is something that great businesses do and other businesses just don't. And so how, how do you listen to customers? So we, we have a, a – well, we, we switched in 2007. We switched to an open source business model. And that's not just that you give software away for free. Actually, it's a whole all-in cultural change. Um, so our product roadmap um, is completely defined by our customers. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we've got 600 really smart people here who've got a lot of things that they'd like to put in the product. The roadmap, though, what features we're adding, you know, release to release, is driven by the customers. I mean, we are absolutely listening. Um, and, you know, and in a world where you don't sell software, the customers can just download it and start, um, we make money when they're happy using it. So if they're telling you they need something, you have to respond and you have to deliver it. So we've become very software-centric. Um, and kind of in the context of that, uh, there's no salesman here. So there, there's no traditional commissioned enterprise software salespeople here here at Eris. It's the customer driving where we go, and they pay us to get there. Mm. And that's that's been a winning formula for us now, you know, um, almost to the beginning. Interesting. So we could talk about you and Eris all day long. However, I'll go for it. Yeah. <laughs> just keep talking. <laughs> I I think I think great entrepreneurs though. I think they're observers. So I love to ask the guests who come on this show, not just about them, but when you look out in the world, let's call it the entrepreneurosphere, who do you mm -hmm. see where you think, wow, she or he, they're doing cool things? Yeah. Well, so now, now you're back to what, what impresses me, right? And I really like disruption. I like when someone takes a, a very old problem and comes up with a novel, disruptive way of solving it. Um, especially in those markets like like CAD and, and PLM or simulation uh, manufacturing software, man, I mean, it could be nothing more dull and, and conservative. And then and you, you've got these thousand pound gorillas who, who dominate the space. And then someone comes up with a really clever technology idea and completely turns everything upside down, disrupts it. Um, I mean, if I think, I don't know if I'm, it's okay, I give you some examples. Please. All right. I mean, there's maybe they're on your next podcast, right? <laughs> but um, I, I'm looking at, I mean, the 3D CAD space has been based on the same set of kernels for 30 years. N not a lot of innovation. I mean, a lot of the innovation there has been just price chopping, which isn't really, that's, that's just selling cheaper. Um, and then I, I, I met this company, uh, N Topology, and they're doing, they've, they've kind of rethought the way the 3D geometry is represented. They're not using the, the kernels like everybody else does. I'm like, these guys are freaking clever, right? They're, they have an opportunity to completely upend, um, I, I, let's call it a fairly stale industry, um, the simulation analysis space. I met an entrepreneur about three years ago out of Switzerland, but I think he's also got a team here in Boston, uh, companies Excellus, um, rethought the way large complex simulations are done so that they can be done real-time, continuously, incrementally. I'm like, that's freaking clever. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he was a PhD out of MIT, right? So took what he learned in school and, and often doing something. Um, and there's, an, there's another one here in Boston. Again, this is the MES, the Manufacturing Execution System. So, you know, hardcore manufacturing software. I mean, you know, think of industrial America, hundreds of year old. What could possibly be new? And I'm watching what these guys are doing. This is a Tulip. They're in downtown Boston. I'm like, really, a fresh approach, a different technology. They've made it 
made it wicked simple, as we say in Boston, right? And uh, that that impresses me. Someone who's willing to go into huge established market, dominated by a few vendors, you know, no one's rethought technology in you know, 10, 20, 30 years, and a bright kid comes up with a technology idea and says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go build this thing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's those are the, those are the ones that impress me. I'm I'm not particularly interested in the next cell phone app or anything like that. I'm I'm looking for uh, game changers. I love it because even in my business, I like it when I see companies that do or associations that do conferences where they're willing to be disruptive. And that's not necessarily a term that's used in the meetings business. But, you know, there, there's certain things in the meetings business that people have to do. I mean, you can't have your corporate meeting. I guess you could, but it would be silly out in a field like Burning Man. So you have to be in a hotel or in a conference center and you have to have bathrooms nearby and you have to have meals and coffee. But every now and then I see people who are willing to do it. And, and the companies that I work with typically, because I work with a lot of manufacturing and technology companies, but that's not, I'm not a manufacturer and I'm not a tech guy. They're willing to be disruptive on this whole idea of networking because they have so many people in their audience who are what we might refer to as sort of left brain engineer types. And I get up on the stage and I'm, I'm big energy, but I talk about the reason that you're here at this event is for the other people. And so often people sit with all of their coworkers. You go to these conferences and uh, you know, a company will send five people and then you sit down at a table and there's five people there and they all work at the same company. And it's like, really? You spent maybe two, $3,000 a person to fly all the way to San Francisco or Boston or, or Orlando and you're only talking to the same people who have cubicles next to you. And so I get hired by companies who say, let's disrupt the conference by taking away the comfort zone and tell people don't sit with your coworkers and scares the hell out of some people. But I can only work with clients who are like, we're willing to play that game because we know that the value comes when people really connect. And I know that hardly doesn't sound disruptive, but you've been to these tech conferences and you know how they are. It's exactly what happens. And at every coffee break, people are sitting on their phones you know, checking in mm-hmm. with the office or looking at who had a burrito on Facebook. And, you know, so I, I, I have a lot of clients who are like, oh, no, no, we're not interested in, in what you do. Or they're not actually my clients because they're not interested. I have a lot of prospects who don't <laughs> hire me. But the ones who hire me are the ones who say, you don't have to be a technologist to be on my stage. Let's let's make it fun. And uh, I talked to a guy who is a, a science researcher, he's a brain researcher. He researches drugs that, that help people with issues of the brain. And he goes to a lot of academic conferences and he's like, I don't understand what you do for a living. And I explained it. He goes, oh, yeah, that would never happen like at a university conference. They they would never put somebody with a personality on a stage. And I just laughed because that's not that's not my place. But I thought, what would it be like to go to like a brain scientist conference? I, I would be extravagantly disruptive because they'd be like, who brought an extrovert? Who brought an extrovert? Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but I, I agree with your point. And at the same time, disruption doesn't have to be giant. Sometimes disruptions as much as just a little shift. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, I, I think if you dig into the heiress or the, the examples I just gave, there's not some like breakthrough major piece of new science there. There's just some simple ideas. You know, someone who, who decided to think out of the box or look at the problem mass backwards, right? And Simple technology difference, and it makes a huge difference in the. Uh, it's disruptive for the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it's the the boldness to try something nobody else has. Well, and that's that's one of the things that we talk about on on the Digital Enterprise Society podcast is we try to look for areas in your, your space in your world of this PLM stuff of who's making these little shifts and and how does that impact 
everybody in the industry and how can everybody buddy grow from it so you know sometimes mm -hmm. the, sometimes it is those small things that are really the disruption so that was that was good hey the last question i ask everybody who comes on the show is what do you do to give back to the greater good because i think when we're fortunate and, and those of us who are entrepreneurs we're we're really fortunate we don't have to work that nine to five grind uh in that traditional way uh and a lot of people it becomes very very lucrative but you got to find your way to, to sort of give back so what is it that you do so and this is just going back to the beginning of our conversation. It's just what's important to Karen and I. Uh, we were fortunate to both have had good educations. We both went through uh, all the way through Cornell. We had good role models, right, that, that kind of helped us understand and make career choices and shape us. Um, so our give back here, uh, we leverage the company. Um, it, it's to give students, young people, opportunities to work in a, in a STEM environment, right, uh, amongst role models. So we, we hire um, interns and co-ops, obviously, from the local schools. Um, but even I think even more importantly, um, the employees, their kids get summer jobs here, you know, starting what is at 14, which is when Massachusetts, you can start legally working. Um, it's important for young people to be in an office environment surrounded by engineers, scientists, you know, smart people in the, in the STEM environment, um, role models, and just it, I think it helps to shape their opportunities. So I, you know, hopefully we're building the next generation of really smart, cool entrepreneurs for you. God, that is so cool that you let the kids start working there of the employees at 14 years old because I'm, I'm just thinking for like my own children or myself, how would that impactful have that have been if we'd had said opportunities? So my daughter is a high school senior. In fact, she's applied to Cornell. So if Cornell happens to be listening, <laughs> good luck, admi yep. admit her. <laughs> Um, but, uh, uh, we won't find out, I guess, till March, but, uh, Cornell is high on her list. The, um, but her school, she goes to a, a magnet school. It's a public par private partnership. It's kind of a unique kind of high school. It's called the Ann Richards school for young women leaders. And one of the things that they do as juniors is they have a week off from school and they go intern in a company somewhere in Austin. That's great. And That's they, great. they have to show up at 8 in the morning or 9 in the morning. They work till 5. They have to wear professional-level clothes depending on what the company is. I mean, she worked at a, a tech company, and so it was, you know, jeans and a T-shirt were fine. But but they have to show <laughs> that, that up. Is the, that is the uniform. Yeah. yeah. They have to find uh, downtown parking. Right. They have to they have mm -hmm. to park in the parking structure. You know, I mean, this was this was a big deal. And for her, it was a life changer of, wow, that's what work is like. Now, the place she worked when she showed up, they did not have a receptionist. They had a barista. So she shows up and, and the woman is like, oh, welcome. You know, we're expecting you. Takes her in a thing and says, can I get you a caramel latte? And so she thinks that's what all companies, she thinks all companies have baristas. But uh, uh, but it was a great uh, okay. it was a great experience good, for it. good good experience. We we don't we don't have the barista, but uh, <laughs> we do expect them to code and, and, and do quality or testing of code and uh, and and be involved and, and and literally work side by side with engineers, scientists, and other cool people. I think that helps. I think I think I think that's that's one of the that's one of the coolest answers I've heard of what a company does. That's good. I like that. Hey, Thank you. before before we close out, any last words, anything you have for the audience of, of entrep young entrepreneurs, growing entrepreneurs, wannabe entrepreneurs? Uh, I, uh, I think the first thing is uh, networks are important, right? I mean, so, I mean, if this, if anybody's curious about Eris, of course, our website's full of information at uh, eris.com. Um, if there's any entrepreneurs, though, that just want to connect and talk about best practices, ideas, whatever, uh, I'm more than happy to talk. I think that's 
the advantage I had was that I was able to talk to people and learn. Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn um, and uh, re- reference the, the podcast. So I'll accept the invite and and uh, happy to engage, trade some ideas, listen to what you're doing, give you some feedback uh, for what it's worth, right? But um, uh, it, it's a community, right? I mean, we got to build a community of people supporting each other to make this work. Well, Peter, thank you. Thank you so much for your story and your wisdom and for your your agreement so quickly to be a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Entrepreneurs Do. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, looking forward to uh, next page here. Good. Thank you. And, and to everybody who tuned in and listened, I say it every episode. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So thank you for tuning in and do me a big favor. Make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast love. And make sure that you leave a, a, a ranking and a review because that's how the show gets found. When people subscribe and leave reviews, uh, the algorithm of Apple somehow magically lets more people find the show. But more importantly, if you like the show, tell a friend. When I run into people and they go, I listen to your podcast, I always say, how did you find it? And 100% of the time, people say it was recommended to me by my boss, my friend, my neighbor, my mom, etc. So make sure that you're telling other people about the show because – We're five and a half years in. I don't want to stop anytime soon, so we want to keep growing this puppy. Uh, We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Peter Schroer. I know you're thinking, where will you ever find anyone as cool as Peter? But we will because we do every single time. But in the meantime, go out there. Try new things. Make sure your ladder's against the the right wall. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.